Right, okay, so we are looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through to 56. And I will just, uh, I will just read them, okay? I'm reading from the New King James Version, but the scriptures on the uh, overhead are from the New International Version, just to confuse you. So let's go, here we go. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and marvelled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognised him, ran through the whole, that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. So that's what we're looking at uh, tonight. Um, so a few opening remarks. This has been a very busy time for Jesus and the disciples. There's been a lot going on. And as we heard last time from our brother Gilbert, with a feeding of the 5,000, it's a big huge effort in fact probably more than 5,000 we also heard so that's a lot of work to be done um, there are accounts in Matthew and John which I, you can compare I've put these sheets round or Ben's put them round very kindly for me uh, they're not essential but you might find it beneficial to have a quick look at some of the uh, other accounts but there's no account of this in Luke which is amazing but it's, uh, it's not there. If anybody does find it there, please let me know as soon as possible. <laughs> so uh, Matthew's account is very similar, covers much the same sort of ground, but with the addition of Peter walking on the water. Mark doesn't include that in his narrative, which is interesting because we uh, believe very strongly that Mark got most of his information from Peter. So what we don't know, whether this was Mark just being discreet because Peter began to sink, or whether it was Peter being humble for the same sort of reasons. But he did walk on the water, and is the only man apart from Jesus to have done so, in my knowledge. So there may, be, there may have been others. Again, if you know of anybody, please do let me know. I'd love to speak to them and dry them out a bit. Okay, so let's uh, start with the first verse. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. This is uh, a famous word of Mark, isn't it? We keep coming across this word, the immediately of Mark, and here it, here it comes again. This is Western Bethsaida, it's the town of Philip, Andrew, 
And uh, Peter, it's in the neighbourhood of Capernaum, which uh, I believe John 6, 17 talks about. Um, so, yep, well, not much more to say on that. Now, the word here is constrained, to, which means to necessitate, compel, drive to by force. Um, John 6.15 gives us some very interesting information on that. Now, you've got it in front of you. I will need to turn to it because I didn't bring my own copy, which is incredibly um, silly of me. But, th no, it's fine, love. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, this is obviously the feeding. This is just after the feeding of the 5,000. They've just picked up the uh, 12 baskets with the fragments. And in verse 15, it says this, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So this is why it talks about Jesus making or constraining his disciples to get into the boat. There's a real sense of urgency about that. Um, it, it, it's very purposeful at this point. So, first question of the night. Ready with the microphone? Why do you think, what do you think the reasons were that Jesus wanted them to get into the boat? Just to cover it. There must be some intelligent reasons here coming out. No? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And possibly because he wanted to get them away from the scene where they tried to make Jesus king. Yes. And he wanted to disperse that whole yep. um, kind of scenario. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. No, absolutely. Yep. John, I can't find that uh, reference. I missed it. Is it John, John 6.15. John 6.15. Thank you. It's only a piece of paper. You oh, should, might be quicker. Oh, it's not. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's not on the paper. Oh. Well, there you go. I had to prove that I was. I was. I had to prove I was not perfect, contrary to rumours, to to, <laughs> to the opposite. So I think we'll do it this way around. This might be a bit easier for me. Okay. Anybody else, or shall I just march on? March on. March on. Ralph says march on. So I'm going to. So I'm going to. I'm going to march on. Okay. <laughs> Well, of course, as Ben says, it was it because there was a danger that the crowds were going to force him, take him away by force, make him king, that there's going to be revolt against the Roman authorities. That was not Jesus' purpose. There may also have been a danger here that the disciples may have got carried away in the excitement of the occasion. You know, you're one of his disciples, you know, you know, or maybe you don't know, he's the Messiah, you know, you know that he's a prophet, certainly, and, you know, the crowd are getting excited, there's 5,000 men there, this could be what we're looking for, finally we break the shackles of the Roman Empire. So it's tempting, he wanted to get them out of that, that was not his purpose for being there at that time. So yes, of course, that's, that's the reason. I would just uh, move on to this slide. This is a quote from the Cambridge New Greek Testament. It's very small, isn't it? Let me read it to you, okay. Um, the impression, I quote, made upon the people by the miracle just narrated was profound. 
It was the popular expectation that the Messiah would repeat the miracles of Moses. And this bread of wonder, of which they had just partaken, recalled to the minds of the multitudes the manner which the great lawgiver had given to their forefathers. They were convinced, therefore, that the Saviour was none other than the prophet of whom Moses had spoken. And in this conviction, they would have taken him by force and made him a king. To defeat this intention, the Saviour bade his apostles take ship, cross over to the other side of the lake. And as we've talked about the original language, it means urge or compel them to get into the boat. He wasted absolutely no time getting them out of that situation. People's needs had been met and they wanted to make Jesus king. It sorted out a huge problem. After all, anybody who can produce enough to feed 10, 15,000 people from what is it, five loaves and two fish or three loaves and two fish or whatever it was, you know, this guy has got the goods. This is someone you want king, isn't it? Someone who can solve your problems and meet all your needs. Yeah, let's vote for this guy. So it's very understandable. Okay, we move on. Verse 46. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, most people think this was about nine o'clock at night. Okay. Uh, we know that it was roughly 3 a.m. As we go on through the text, we'll discover that. So at this point, without wanting to jump forward too much, we know that Jesus probably prayed for six hours. He went up to a mountainside. It was about 9 p.m. at night. We know he got to the disciples round about three o'clock in the morning. So that's six hours, give or take, after a long and exhausting day. We don't know what he was praying for. He could have been praying for the disciples that they wouldn't fall into sin. He could have been praying that they wouldn't get into too much unbelief when the wind was rocking the boat. He could have been praying that they didn't misunderstand his mission. He could have been praying for strength to complete. We can only speculate and it's pointless speculation. But what does this tell us about his relationship with the Father? Extraordinary, isn't it? Six hours. The, the, the Son of God spent six hours communing with the Father. I bet they were glorious hours. So what's the lesson for us? Well, it's so obvious I'm not going to put it to the crowd. You know, obviously, is prayer's really important. Prayer's really important. Do you know there are actually churches where they don't believe you need to pray? That you've got everything already in Jesus. You're complete in him. He's finished it. You don't need anything more. You don't need to pray. He's promised to provide all your needs. Extraordinary, isn't it, really? But seductive. It has a seductive side to it. Um, but here's Jesus. Six hours praying. Wow, it throws my heart. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll move on. Just keep an eye on the time here. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. Jesus had intentionally left them alone. He said, off you go. You go to the other side of the lake. I'm staying here. I wonder what sort of conversations they must have had. Why are you staying here, Lord? What do you know that we don't know? Why do you want us to go away? Oh, I feel so rejected. Um, whatever, you know, it, it did, off you go, and he stayed, where, he stayed where he was. Question, 
Why do you think he would do that? What, send them away? Yes. Oh. Yeah, sorry, is the question not clear? Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to see what their reaction would be. To see what their reaction would be? Yes. Yeah. See if they would pray. Yeah, okay. There's a training. Training, yes, 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 yes. I'm still, I'm still thinking that perhaps he sent them away to divert the attention from him. No, uh -huh. so because the people were following the boat. Yes. When they yes. went across to the other side, yeah. there were several boats going with yes. them, and maybe there were boats going back. Yeah. I don't know, and he wanted to get away to pray. Maybe that was yeah. the main reason. I yeah, yeah, very good. About diversionary tactic. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah. He wanted time alone with his father. Okay. Couldn't yeah. do that yeah. with them there. <laughs> okay, so pack them off. Yep, yep, yep. Martin is back there, I think. He, he was just fed up with the disciples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, there'll be a short pause while Martin gets back into the spirit. <laughs> right, anybody else? Okay, well, well <laughs> that was great, Martin, I love that. Um, yeah, obviously, there are lessons to be drawn from this, lessons which he wanted to teach them, it was obviously training for them. At some point, you know, they were going to be left alone. He was going to go into heaven and they were going to have to manage alone. And there were lessons that they needed to learn. And Jesus, well, God, uh, well, and Jesus is God, of course, but Jesus and God the Father are always incredibly economical with every situation. There's usually, usually God will get about at least three things out of any situation. It always seems to me, you know, we'll always extract the maximum from any event or experience in our life. It's hardly ever just about one thing. There's nearly there's always a bunch of things for us to, to learn. So we'll move on and we get now into the, into the meat of the, of the passage and we're going to be in these next three verses for some while. Okay. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So we learn that with all their efforts, they probably weren't much more than halfway across, maybe two thirds, about halfway. And obviously... The wind was against them, it was getting rough, it was getting boisterous. So they were, having a, they were having a tough time. Jesus separated himself from them temporarily to teach them what, had hap what would happen when they ascended into heaven. And our encounters, our encounters with difficulties fit us for service later. So the issues we go through now stand us in good stead. Later, one of the things I learned when, when I was running a factory um, with about 18 women in, 
at least 18, maybe 20, and there are a smattering of, of, of men as, as well. It's mostly women. One of the things it taught me was how to deal with stroppy women. <laughs> and as a pastor, you definitely need that skill, okay? Because sooner or later, you will meet a stroppy woman. You will also meet stroppy men, but stroppy women are much more difficult to deal with. But it taught me a great deal. It taught me not to run. It taught me not to panic. It taught me to hold my ground. It taught me just to stand there and take it. And so I learned a great deal, but it was extremely unpleasant at the time. And the number of times I crowd, cried, God, get me out of here, and he didn't. But I, it, was, it, ser it served me well later on. It served me very well. And I'm sure you can all think of examples like that in your own life where things have, you know, prepared you for what was to come later. Of course, we should remember if this were a film, it would be entitled The Return of the Storm at Sea because they'd already experienced one in Mark chapter 4. So this wasn't their first uh, rodeo or rowboat. It's interesting, if you look over the chapters, how the Lord ramps up the teaching opportunities in Mark 4, then the feeding of the 5,000, and now this. He ramps it up, and at each stage, there's a bit more revelation of who he is. And that's how he, he does things. Okay, let's uh, ne next pause for thought. Um, wrong reactions to a storm. Wrong reactions to a storm in our lives. What do you think they might be? What do we think sometimes when we're in a storm? Okay. You want to hand the microphone around to anybody who wants to give it some welly? Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. They went into it with a bad attitude. They went into it with a bad attitude. Attitude. They had had a bad attitude right from the beginning when yeah. they realised they'd been robbed. And then they and it says they were hardened of heart. Okay. So they were going into this with a bad attitude and okay. it only get worse. Okay. Okay. Yep. 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 What about our own attitude? What about what we think when we're in the storm? Uh, we might think that God is punishing us. Right. Uh, because we've done the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ask God, why, why are we going through this? Yeah, yeah, okay. Why me? Yeah, why me? Yeah. We wonder if it will ever end. Well, yeah, I wonder if it will ever end. So these are wrong reactions to a storm, yeah? Yep, Heidi's at the back there. We might well be anxious and panicky. Okay, wrong reactions to a storm, yeah, in our own life perhaps, yeah, 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 oh, yep, yeah. two more candidates over here, look. So losing faith and becoming discouraged and um, thinking and speaking, he won't rescue me. Okay, so yeah, very negative, yeah, Beryl's got something, yeah, yeah. We might try and hide away and try and, you know, pretend it's not there. Okay, might hide, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at that uh, straining at the oars. So they, so we might um, really, really put loads and loads of effort into it. Uh -huh. um, but the wind's against them. So okay. 
you know, you just feel at the end of yourself, I guess. Okay. And you're putting loads of effort in. Yep, yep. Yep, Sue, at the back there. Yep, and Martin, yep. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. Okay, so, yep. I'm only going to follow on from Ben, really. Try and build our own protection from the storm. Try and build our own protection from the yeah. storm, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. No, I'll, 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 I'll move on. It is one or two I prepared earlier. Okay. We might think if we're in the middle of a storm in our own lives, we might think it's the result of sin. I have sinned, so I'm, that's why I'm in the storm. Or we might think it's the result of disobedience, which in a sense is sin. So um, it's kind of slightly splitting hairs. We might think, for example, if God cared, he would have stopped it by now. That's one that's uh, and number four, I don't deserve this. So but all your contributions have been absolutely great. All those sorts of things go through our minds, don't they? And those are all wrong reactions to the storm. They're wrong reactions to the storm. They're not right reactions. They may be natural reactions. And I wouldn't blame or condemn anybody for feeling that. Um, it simply is that ultimately none of those things will get us out of the storm. That's the thing. They won't get you out of it, you know. And uh, it's really interesting. It's like moaning about something. You might moan about something, but it won't fix the problem, will it? Okay. So he saw them from the mountain. Now, there's some interesting thoughts about this, because it's probably about three or four miles away. So I'm, so I'm told, I've never been to the Lake of Galilee, so I have to take what I'm told. Clearly the wind is boisterous, there are, there are waves, it's night, so that would tend to me, suggest to me that it would be difficult for Jesus to see them with the naked eye. Some think he could. Some suggest that it was a moonlit night and if you're up on a mountain, you could probably see three miles out on a lake. But to be honest, I think that's stretching it a little bit. If you can imagine Bognor Seafront, imagine a boat three miles out, even if you were at the top of Fitzleet House, three miles out, it's really windy, it's really rough, this is probably a boat not much bigger than the sort of fishing boats that you see on Bognor Beach. I think it would be very difficult to see that with the naked eye. I think he saw them by the Spirit. That's, that's what I think. You remember Nathaniel when he said about Nathaniel, when you were sat under the, what was it, tree? The fig tree, the willow tree, beech tree, the oak tree? The mulberry tree? No, is it mulberry tree? Fig tree, isn't it? Yeah, okay. All right, answers on a postcard, please. But he saw him by the Spirit. He didn't see him physically, he saw him by the Spirit. We know that. There's no mention at the moment of the disciples praying at this point. None at all. I like this little quote from a fellow by the name of Chris Benson who says, although they were separated physically from Jesus, they were never beyond his watchful eye. That's lovely, isn't it? 
That's why we think about us and, and, and the Lord. Uh, fourth watch between 3 and 6 a.m. So it could have been getting towards dawn, I suppose. Um, but I don't know. So we do know that they toiled all night and it was in the early morning hours. This is, this is hard. They've been on the sea, well, roughly the same time Jesus went up the mountain, about nine o'clock at night. They've been on the sea all that time. And remember, some of them were fishermen. They, they knew what they were doing. They weren't stupid. But it must have been really hard for them. And by this time, I, I would think they were beginning to panic a bit. You know, when are we ever going to get to the other side of this lake? It must have been really, really difficult. You know, there comes a point when you're struggling with something where it dawns on you, you might not make this. At that point, that's when fear really kicks in. So I think they would have been somewhat troubled. Um, again, a quote, this is from the um, Cambridge Bible for Schools. Oh, that we had such books in our schools. Uh, in these days, let me read it out again because for some reason, probably carelessness, I forgot to enlarge it. He saw them toiling in rowing. The word translated toiling, which also occurs in Matthew 14, 24, it tells us, is a very striking expression. It denotes, number one, to test metals with the touchstone. Number two, to rack or torture. Number three, to torment, as in Matthew 8, 29. Quote, art thou come to torment us before the time? That's the same word that's used here. In Matthew 8, 6, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. So this is the, it's the same word that is used here in Mark. And it seems to imply they were tortured, baffled by the waves, which were boisterous by reason of the strong wind. Wycliffe translates, translates it travailing in rowing, Tyndale and Cranmer troubled in rowing. But I want you to note the strength of this word. Torture. You know, this is, this is really, really hard work. Really, really testing them. Just put that back up again. When Matthew tells the same story in his gospel, he uses the same Greek word, bazanizo. There he says that the boat, the boat was tossed, that is afflicted by the waves, in Matthew 14, 24, which you should have on your sheet, I hope. But here in Mark's Gospels, it's the disciples who were afflicted in their rowing. So one says the waves were being troubled, or tortured. The other says the disciples were being tortured. In fact, both were being tortured, really, weren't they? Because it was the same thing. They were afflicted. They were in the boat, and the boat was in the middle of the sea, and the boat was getting tossed around. If you're in the boat in the middle of the sea, you're going to experience what the sea experienced. And I think it's a really important lesson for us to take on board that Christians are not immune from circumstances. If the nation we're in, i.e. the boat, is in trouble, then so are we. Yet many Christians 
they seem to give the impression that what happens in the nation is of no concern of theirs whatsoever. It's not going to affect them. It is. It really is. We, we cannot just think, oh, it's not going to touch me. We're in the boat and the boat's in the sea. It will affect us. Interesting comment by one fellow. He says that, that this is interesting, Gilbert, you'll find this interesting. He says the leftovers were in the boat. The leftovers were in the boat. Now, we don't, we don't know whether that's true or not, or no idea. But he said they should have comforted them because they had, the, they had a, a testament, if you like, to Jesus' miracle working power in the boat. Yes. But, of course, they, they neglected that, you know. Maybe they just thought, oh, it's just breakfast, whatever. Interesting also on this word, Bazanizo, is uh, A.T. Robertson, who's a very famous Greek scholar, says that um, the word was used in the papyri, that's not biblical text, that's other texts from roughly the same time, referring to how they sometimes treated slaves. In other words, torture, beating, troubling. Fascinating, isn't it? And you know what the message for me in that is? Life is slavery and oppression without Jesus. That's what comes to me. And as, as, as Ben uh, remarked about in, in, in terms of, you know, straining and straining and straining. One of the lessons we all have to learn is that straining in the kingdom never gets you anywhere. Never gets you anywhere. We all do that, don't we? But it never gets you anywhere. I'm not saying that we shouldn't put effort in. We shouldn't pray. We shouldn't work. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there comes a point where you know that you're straining. These guys were straining. They knew what to do. They knew how to row. And they were rowing for all they were worth. But in the kingdom, it's only what God does that counts. Everything we do, it just doesn't really amount to much. We really can't change things. But God can. That's why prayer is such a fantastic thing. You know, that's why prayer is so amazing. Because with prayer, you're asking God to do it. Everybody else is scurrying around. They're trying to do it. Not necessarily as black and white as that. They're trying to do it. And the prayers, the intercessors, they're saying, well, God, please come and do it. Hallelujah. That's the great thing about intercession. So they were worried. They were exhausted. They were sleepless. They were not in a good state. They were at a low ebb. This, because... Uh, it, um, Medically, you're at a low ebb, aren't you, in the early hours of the morning? You know, well, like between 2 and 4 a.m., is that right? Something like that. A lot of people die in that, that section of the day because your natural body rhythms are low. They've had a hard day's night distributing fish and bread. They've been rowing all night. They were well and truly cooked. I mean, they were frazzled. They were fed up to the back teeth. They would have been really low in mood. So I think to... You know, some people criticise them a bit, but I think that's really misplaced. I know that if I'd have been in that boat, I would have been very unhappy indeed. I would not have been a happy bunny. You know, it would be, give me a Mars bar, I need something to eat, you know. So the lesson from us, for us from this is circumstances are often beyond our control. They're threatening. We can't deal with them. We have to cry out to the Lord. And if it's hard for us, how hard is it for the unbeliever and the backslidden? How hard is it for them? 
Yeah. Jesus, or oh, the Bible, calls us overcomers. You can't be an overcomer if there's nothing to overcome. <laughs> Next point that I want to make from this, Jesus is always with us. He was with them. He saw them. He knew exactly what was going on. He wasn't there physically, but he was there by his spirit. He was there. He'd not really abandoned them. And sometimes it feels like we're abandoned when we're in the middle of a storm, doesn't it? Jesus is always with us, but we don't perceive him very often. That's the problem. But faith is what? The evidence of things not seen. And faith is, got, is what gives us peace. All right, so they saw him walking on the lake. This just deserves a little bit of um, explanation. Now, it's fascinating reading some people's uh, views on this, because some, some say, oh, well, he was obviously stepping on rocks. <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it, really? Really, for three miles across the Sea of Galilee, he was stepping on rocks, really? Or another wonderful suggestion was, oh, he was walking in the surf as the, as, as the waves hit. The, he was walking on the surf and so the disciples thought he was walking on water. It's amazing, isn't it, that the explanations that the people who don't believe come up with are more incredible by far than the actual miracle. It's like, really? Really? Jesus was completely unmoved by the storm. Absolutely un moved um, now I'm, I'm, let me see if I can find this um, a Kenneth Wiest who some of you will know it was another famous uh, <clears throat> Greek scholar says this um, I'm walking on the sea he said the word on is epi in Greek which when used with the genitive case as it is here don't worry about that bit if you don't understand, that's fine. I don't understand it either. But in what it is, it signifies contact. Our Lord's sandals, he says, had actual contact with the water. He walked on the surface of the sea as we walk on a heart pavement. He didn't float above the sea. You know, he didn't float above the sea. He literally walked on the water like it was pavement. He was demonstrating his complete mastery over the elements. He wasn't bothered by it at all. No problem. Just, he just walked on it. It's just wonderful, that, isn't it? That which troubles us, that which disturbs us, that which, you know, makes us panic and be afraid and worried and think if anything's ever going to work out, Jesus just walks on the water. Okay, so another quick question then. Because it says he was about to pass by them. Any suggestions as to why? Why do you think Jesus would have walked by them? I'm teasing you a bit, really. <laughs> he was testing them. He was testing them? And what, he said he was going to meet them the other side of the lake. Right. So... Okay. So he was just on yeah, the way yeah. There. No, that's a great. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Anybody else want to venture a suggestion? No, no. I 
want them to call out to him. Right, yeah. All great suggestions, all, all wonderful suggestions. Yeah. I think the truth is we don't actually know why. Thanks, Toby. That's, that's, that, that's great. But a few suggestions, yeah. He wanted them to ask for help. He wanted to show his complete mastery of the waves. If he really truly wanted to avoid them, he could have done, couldn't he? But he didn't really, obviously, want to avoid them completely. So, yeah, he wanted them to call out. But he said, I will meet you over there. So he was, he was just, yeah, okay, I'll meet you over there. Winds, waves, storm, Kieran, no problem. You know, no problem. I'll meet you there. Well, I can't get there. <laughs> but Jesus, oh, I love, I love Jesus. He just easily did it. Um, now, some people uh, think that the meaning to be that Jesus desired to pass by the disciples has that meaning. In other words, he really did mean to walk by them. Uh, A.T. Robertson and uh, expositors uh, both think that. This will mean something to Ben. They don't mean anything to you. But Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Vies thinks that it means to come near, so that the Greek means to come near them. Um, and in his uh, judgment, Jesus was definitely walking to the disciples and not aiming to pass them by. Myself, I think he was about to pass them by. That's, that's what I would plump for, but what do I know? I have to go by what these guys say, but that's what I think. Uh, Dan Duncan says, what Mark is doing is explaining why he came out to them upon the sea. He came to pass by. He came in order to manifest himself to his disciples and show them his glory and show them his nature. Um, it's very much like one of these appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament, which is called a theophany, by the way. Visible manifestation of God, like the Lord's appearance to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's that sort of thing. And you remember in Exodus 33, interestingly, God passes by Moses. He walks by and shows Moses his glory. Maybe that's what Jesus is doing, walking by and showing his glory. Maybe. Okay, it's interesting. Now, uh, I told you we'd spend some time... On, on this, didn't I? Because it's the meat. It's the meat of the of the passage, really. It says they they cried out because they thought they saw a ghost. Now the word here is not the regular word for spirit, which is the word pneuma. It uh, which could be described of used to describe the spirit of a dead person. They don't use the word for angel. They didn't think it was an angel. They don't use the word for demon, demonion. The word they use is one associated with magic charms or satanic practices. It's the word phantasma, an appearance, an apparition, spectre, ghost. So they've been on the water. They've had an exhausting day. They've been on the water for six hours, rowing away. They're getting fed up. They're getting frightened. They wonder if their deal will ever end. And then what happens next? Well, a ghost turns up. Fantastic. Just to make your day perfect. Wonderful. <laughs> it's hilarious scripture, isn't it, sometimes? And they cried out. And the word is anachrysal. It's a shriek of terror or a scream. They didn't go, help me, Lord Jesus. They went, ah! 
They were terrified of what they'd seen. Absolutely terrified. You did appreciate that. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that sometimes uh, things which seem spooky turn out to be Jesus. There are some things that worry us when we first see them. We think, oh, oh dear, what's that? And we get frittered. And actually, it's the Lord coming towards us. I remember when I was first saved, just, just after I'd given my life to the Lord, I was kneeling down by my bed and I felt two hands come and rest on my head. I felt it as clear as anything and it scared the living daylights out of me. And I turned round because I honestly thought someone was in the room. There was, obviously the Lord was there, but it really scared me. And to this day I regret turning round because it somehow broke it. You know, I wish that I just had the courage just to think, oh yeah, this must be the Lord. But it was so real that I had to turn around and see if there was somebody behind me. So sometimes Jesus comes and we get spooked by that. When revival comes, I guarantee you the church will be spooked. I guarantee you that half the church will be saying it's the devil. Guarantee it. It happens every time. When Jesus turns up and we don't fully recognise him, we get spooked. And they did that as well. Interesting. Unrecognised, Jesus can bring fear. Recognised, he brings peace. One other thing about this ghost business. Brian Bell says, there was a local rumour that the last thing a boatman saw before drowning in Galilee was a ghost on the water. <laughs> so you can imagine just how they felt. This is perfect, isn't it? You know, it's, it's perfect. You could make a horror story out of this. You really could. But it's so interesting that often when we're desperate, that's exactly when we don't discern the Lord's presence in the situation, isn't it? You know, we just get panicked and the panic overwhelms us. And then we just don't discern who he is. Once Jesus identifies himself in the midst of the storm, peace comes. And that's interesting because peace comes before the storm has gone. You can be in a storm. When Jesus is there with you, the storm continues, but you're in peace. It's like the storm has stopped, even though it hasn't. Because Jesus is there. His presence fixes everything. Everything. And what is lovely about this is that they cried out in fear, in terror. Ah! And Jesus spoke to them immediately and said, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. They didn't cry out for Jesus. They didn't say, Lord, help me. Jesus, save me. None of that. Like Peter did. Peter said, Lord, save me. They didn't do that. They just cried out. But he answered the cry of fear. It was a cry of fear, not a cry of faith, but he still answered them. That, to me, is really, really, really comforting. Because we often, when we get in trouble, we often cry out, don't we, you know, in fear, not, uh, not faith. Um, so, moving on then. <clears throat> Sorry. Other brands of beer are available. Other brands of beer are available. 
Oh, take oh yeah, oh very good, yeah, yeah take courage, yeah, <coughs> yeah, take courage. <coughs> yeah, that was the <coughs> was the old joke about what beer did Paul take, uh, Paul drink, and it, it's uh, it's take courage because he stopped at the three taverns and took courage. Yeah, anyway, anyway that's an that's an old uh, that's an old joke. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, take the, the word take courage is it is. And you know I like these sort of things. It's in the present imperative, which means stop being afraid. Take courage. Be of good cheer. Have confidence. Have firmness of purpose. The word it is I literally means I am. It's literally I am. He immediately identifies himself as God, as, as God. I better move on because time's moving on. Uh, Thomas Constable says this, Jesus walking on the water connotes that Jesus treads where only God can walk. And there's a couple of lovely references there. Job 9.8 and Psalm 77.19, Isaiah 43.16. Uh, Job one is very nice, designates Jesus by the same expression that is used for God's self-disclosure to Moses. So interesting that there are links to this passage in Exodus here. You know, I, I am and, and, and God passing by. Interesting, interesting links. Um, and the response of Jesus where he said, I am is the answer to the question posed by the disciples in the first storm, which is, who is this that can calm even the winds and the sea? Yes. That question is answered in the second storm when Jesus reveals, I am. So there's a progression of revelation. He prepares the ground for them. They're asking the question. And in the second storm, he reveals what the answer is. Uh, Dan Duncan says, why this long arduous process? It would be so much easier if it was all done in a moment and don't we all agree with that? Well I think we all ask that question at one time or another but what we need to realise is that God's goal is not our ease and our happiness. Oh there's a shock to the system. It's our holiness and that takes time. That involves a process of trials, a process of difficulties which ultimately do lead to our happiness, lead to the greatest happiness. Happiness and joy that we never experience apart from those experiences. So God is not working for your ease and happiness. Okay, he's, he's not doing that. He's working for your holiness, which will eventually be much, much better. Okay, Mark 6.51, moving on now. I've got cramp in my right foot, which is a bit of a pain. So bear with me for a sec. Then he climbed into the boat with them and, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. And here we go. This is Gilbert's thing that he's been yeah. telling us all about. For they had not understood about their loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is the key to the entire text. It is the key section. You understand this? You understand what God is trying to do during this, this period. So... Jesus climbs into the boat, immediately peace breaks out. 
Wonderful. The wind starts to die down. How many times have people drawn comfort from this single sentence? How many songs do people know? I bet Beryl knows three songs about this, <laughs> about Jesus in the boat and you can, something from the storm or something, was it? Jesus in the boat, you can, something, something from the storm. Sorry? Smile at the storm. That's right, you can smile at the storm. Any, any more, Beryl? I knew, to be honest, you should have at least half a dozen songs in there about this. They're part of everyday life. We all go through storms and the weather teaches that. We're going through a series of storms now, which is very interesting. The, when it says the wind ceased or died down here, it means uh, to grow weary or tired. So the disciples were tired. But now, the storm's tired. As soon as Jesus gets there, it's the storm that gets tired. Before that, they were tired. Wonderful, isn't it? It's just like us fighting the enemy, isn't it? We fight the enemy, we're tired. Jesus turns up, the demons get tired. Excellent, I love it. Bring it on. So it's like it just, just stop. I think the verb is kopadzo. The wind died down to grow weary or tired, hence to cease from violence, cease raging to cease beating, toil and weariness. Uh, Vincent, who's another famous Greek commentator, says, it's a beautiful and picturesque word. He says, the sea sank to rest as if exhausted by its own beating. Oh, finally, I, God has finally done what he needs to do in these disciples. Now I can take a break. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus could have stilled the storm from the mountain. He did not. He came to them. If Jesus is not in total control, see, he was in total control, but if he's not in total control, he's not in control at all. And we're all in deep, deep trouble. We're never going to be saved. So Jesus is in total control, and he demonstrated that. Getting to know Jesus is essential because storms will come in our lives. They do. Nobody wants it. I wouldn't wish it on you, and I don't wish it on myself, but they do. And we need to know when stuff beating against us that he's with us we really do and that's what he was trying to get through to the disciples so let's focus on this bit about their their hearts being hardened it's the most telling they were the king james version says they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered they didn't understand that's that's this bit there but they didn't understand their hearts were hard um I'm not sure if, I've, if we've got time to do, to do that. But what sort of things do you think might harden our hearts? Anybody want to shout out? Disappointment. Disappointment. Pride. 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 Or sin. Sin. Yeah. Sin. Yep. Okay, they're all they're all good one. All these things harden our hearts, don't they? Yep. Yep. Harden our harden our pride. Uh, uh, yep. They're all they're all they're all great. But these things that clouded their hearts, and and it it means that it was like a stone, like a stone. When they climbed in, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. 
in Matthew this is, then those who were in the boat worshipped him. He must be talking about Peter and Jesus getting into the boat, yeah. saying, truly you are the Son of God. And you remember Mark 4, who is this that tells the winds and the waves and they obey him? Here, finally, they come into the revelation. Truly you are the Son of God. Finally, light dawns. It took the storm, it took the feeding of the 5,000, that didn't do it, but finally, this did it. This did it, and they all bowed down and worshipped Jesus. Because finally, the penny had dropped that he was God. And that's what he wanted to get. That was <coughs> that's what all this was about. Getting them to recognise him as God. That's what the storm was about. And that's sometimes what storms are about in our lives. Just getting us to recognise he's God. Hallelujah. So, uh, by the way, the hardness means like a piece of stone. Really, really, really hard. You know, not just a bit hard. Really, really hard. They were calloused. Really calloused against it. It's amazing what unbelief will do, isn't it? So, what are we doing for time? Yeah, no, I can't do that because I'm running out of time. I was going to have another little question session, but I've just been babbling on far too long. Some do see this as a narrative of the church, interestingly, um, that we are constrained to come to Jesus. We're on our way to heaven, but the storms of this life still rage. One day Jesus will come for us and immediately we'll get to the other side, which is, which is nice, you know, you may think about that, what, whatever you want. Um, one more quote, I'm nearly, I'm nearly done, don't panic. Okay, <laughs> I know that this has been like rowing against the storm, but I'm nearly there. Daniel Hill comments that when the disciples left, their intention was to sail to Bethsaida, the fishing village near Capernaum, but the storm blew them off course to Gennesaret, further south and west. When they left, Jesus was not with them, but now after walking to them on the water, he is with them. And now that he is with them, the change in destination is immaterial. Principle, where you are going is not nearly as important as who you are with as you go. All of us have plans, dreams and aspirations, but the winds of change often alter our course. But if Jesus Christ is with us, leading us, where we're going doesn't really matter. And we do, we all have plans for our lives, don't we? We all think, you know, that we've got to achieve this, we've got to do that. But as long as Jesus is with us, it doesn't really matter terribly much. So we're nearly there now. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. Uh, and I won't put this up because it's not on there, but Cambridge Bible Schools again says, the land of Gennesaret is only mentioned here and in Matthew 14, 34. It's a fertile, crescent-shaped plain on the northwestern shore of the Lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, okay? It has different names. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias as well, I believe. About three miles in length and one in width. That's the plain, that's, the, that's Gennesaret. From its sheltered situation and especially from its depression of more than 500 feet below the level of the ocean, its climate is of an almost tropical character. Josephus speaks as if it were an earthly paradise in which every kind of useful plant grew and flourished. And again, the picture of is if the boat, if we're the church, going to the other side through the stormy sea, when Jesus get with, gets with us, immediately we're at paradise. It's lovely, isn't it? You know, it's a great, it's a great picture. I, re I really like it. So there are more, there's more than one miracle in this passage. How many miracles do you think there are? 
Three? Three? Any advance on three? Maybe four? We don't know how many he healed. Oh, well, that's a good, that's a good point. Okay, but, 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 but explicitly in the passage, there are four miracles. Jesus walking on the water. Peter walking on the water. Jesus still in the storm and the boat arriving on shore the instant Jesus entered it, which is recorded in John 6, 21. So there's four miracles in this little passage. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. Remember, this is still very early in the morning. Probably about, maybe six, maybe before. They recognised Jesus. They probably run all, the, all that way to get to be with Jesus. Fascinating, because they recognised Jesus and the disciples didn't. <laughs> That's a bit of irony, isn't it? Never say God hasn't got a sense of humour. If you read the scriptures well, there's humour all over the place. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. There's a real, I was pondering this earlier on today, there's a real pathos in this. There's a real sadness in this. There's all these people running all this way, miles, carrying sick people on mats. There's real, I could really feel the compassion of Jesus when I was thinking about this that he, why he had compassion on them because these people were desperate to get to him really desperate and they put all that effort into it just you know it just really spoke to me like the guy lowered through the roof you know desperate desperate to get to jesus oh that everyone in the land would be so desperate to get to jesus oh that we were so desperate to get to jesus sometimes you know it's amazing Finally, wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. The word heal is sozo, which literally means saved. They were saved. They were saved. Saved from their sickness, certainly. Whether they were saved <coughs> eternally, I think that would take a bit more arguing. They experienced deliverance from infirmities and restoration to physical soundness. Yeah. Wonderful, isn't it? They just wanted to touch him. And there's a bit more revelation on that, but I'm not going to share it tonight. I'm going, to oh. Oh. I'm going to share it when I next speak on Sunday, okay, which is in about two weeks' time-ish. Okay, so there's a little bit of revelation in there. So some of you will now be going away, reading all your concordances and getting out your Bible commentaries. I wonder what that revelation is, you know. <coughs> if you get it, great. So now we get miracles breaking out all over. These guys worked really hard. Think about it. He was up all day, praying all night, walking on the water. They get out of the boat and immediately there's a whole bunch of people waiting to be prayed for and healed. Yeah. And some people want to get into the ministry. <laughs> Not so fast. Think about it. Anyway, God bless you. That's, that's me finished. Thanks for listening. I don't think there's any other questions. Well, if you want questions, we're, we're, we're kind of getting on a bit, aren't we, really? I'm getting on a lot, really. I, I just wondered about verse 52, for they had not understood about the lows because their heart was hardened. Yes. And you mentioned earlier that um, 
that it was a parallel to Moses and the manna. Yes. Um, so I'm just wondering if that is it, that, you know, because Moses was a type of Jesus. Right. Prophet. Yeah. 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 And whether that's the issue that it says that because they, their heart was hardened, they hadn't understood about the lows because of their hard hearts. Yeah. So they hadn't made the link. Yeah. Did you uh, well, say that, or I, am yeah, I? I it, it was certainly one of the one of the comments that I made from somebody else about that about Moses and the manna. Yeah, um, I think that that um, it probably was to do with the fact that they were still under the law in their own thinking. So it, that goes with what you're saying. They mm. they were connected with Moses. They recognised that Jesus was a prophet, yeah. but they thought he was a prophet under the Mosaic law. What they hadn't twigged was that he was the Messiah and he was going to turn everything upside down. Yeah. Uh, so I think the hardness stems from the Mosaic law because when the law is read to this day, they're blind, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. See, so I think that's what the root of it was. Okay, thank yeah. you. By the way, it was a fig tree. Was a fig tree. Fig tree. Okay, I thought it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very kind. Sorry, I love that bit about um, God walked by Mo by by Moses to show His glory, yeah. and then this parallel to yeah. the Jesus walking yeah. by the disciples yeah. to show His glory. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for coming. <coughs> I'm just going to end in prayer. Okay. If my voice will work. Yeah. Um, your heart. Yeah, Father God, we just really thank you for all that we've learned this evening, God. We just thank you that your love is so present, Jesus. And even if we can't see you, we know that you're there in our boat, Jesus, with the peace, God, that goes before all understanding. Yeah, we thank you, Jesus, for your love, God, and may we go out and share it with others. In Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Toby. God bless you. God bless you, mate. Okay. Well, bless you.